I want to start off by um, reminding us that last week we started our children's worship again. And if you are a kid, if you're a child and would like to go to children's worship, um, we invite you now to come up. And Mr. Walker is going to say a quick prayer and um, lead you to our children's worship time. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for sharing that disclaimer that, parents, yes, we did not make your kids eat crickets last week at children's worship. They did have that opportunity, but they were not required to. Um, And actually, there's more to that story. Uh, We had candy crickets, too, made of Twix and pretzels. Um, Turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, I hope you did. Uh, We're going to read verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and uh, what a rich word it is. We pray that what you would have us here in our hearts and our souls, that you would speak now through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are concluding the series, Fear Not, Um, and one of the things that we've looked at is different fears, and many of them external fears, and our response, and our response often is some uh, control to try to, on our own, take away the fear. We might look 
um, at our surroundings or at our future, and maybe things seem bleak. And so we try to control um, the situation so that we can seize a better future for us. Or maybe we hear wonderful promises from God, um, but we think, um, wow, sometimes it doesn't seem like these promises are coming true, Lord. And so we might seize control by uh, just not giving ourselves fully to those promises and, and because we, we have, we're afraid of being disappointed. Or we looked at the fear of yielding your life fully to God and saying, God, my life belongs to you. I'm going to do what you call me to do. And, um, and there may be some fear in that because we're not sure what's going to happen um, as we do that. And so we might seize control and, and hold back some reins for ourselves for our lives. So we have these often external fears, and then we try to be in control so that we can mitigate our fears. And, and, um, and, and when we try to seize control, it's not the faithful option. As we look at this story, where's the fear and where's the control that we might try to, to hold on to ourselves so that we can mitigate that fear? Where is the fear in this story? Well, as in order to understand that, I think we need to recognize that there was, at some time before this occurrence, there was a painful conversation uh, that occurred between Mary and, and Joseph, um, where she reveals what is going on inside of her. And I'm guessing that story, that not story. I'm guessing that conversation between Mary and Joseph probably happened um, a few weeks or a few months, maybe even after the angel Gabriel visited Mary and said, you will be with child. Because um, my guess is Mary probably wanted to see if that actually was (laughs) going to happen. Like before she went to Joseph and told her these, told him these things, Let's see if this is really going on. And so um, she, she, she may have waited a little while and then noticed, oh, no, my body is feeling different um, and recognized this is happening. I am with child. Um, I have to talk to Joseph. I have to do it. And if I had imagined that conversation, I invite you to kind of imagine what that conversation would have been like. Um, I think it may have gone something like this. You know, Mary going to Joseph and saying, Joseph, I have something, I have something to tell you. Um, I mean, how do you break the news that I was visited by an angel? How do you do that? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm visited by an angel uh, or was visited by an angel, Joseph. And what was he thinking? What? what? Um, and, and maybe caught on to something. Mary had been acting a little funny for the last few weeks or months. You know, Mary, I, I, I thought something was wrong. Uh, you seemed a little distant lately, like your mind is somewhere else. And Mary might have commented, yeah, this angel was just it was brilliant. It was just dazzling, but also pretty terrifying. But he said, do not be afraid. And he told me that I found favor with God. And Joseph was like, wow, Mary. But are you sure that it maybe wasn't a a dream? No, no, this was real. This was real. This was as real as anything I've ever experienced before. What did the angel tell you, Mary? Oh, Joseph, that's 
that's what I need to tell you. I mean, think about that. She's going to break the news. This is what I need to tell you, Joseph. You might want to sit down for this one. The angel said to me, you will have a son. Okay, so right then, the angel told Mary, you will have a son. Mary reports this to Joseph. What is Joseph thinking? Maybe he was thinking, well, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Like, like we're going we're gonna to have a son. That's kind of what we were wanting. You're getting married and, and have children. Um, that, that's, that's wonderful, Mary. But then Mary continues to give the full story, right? Not exactly. No, this child will be from God. And Joseph, he's probably a little confused, right? What do you mean, Mary? Yeah, the angel said that he will be called the son of the Most High, and he will reign on David's throne forever and ever. And when she shares that bit of news, I I imagine Joseph going pretty silent for a few moments. I don't get it, Mary. What are you saying? Joseph, I'm pregnant. But, But I want you to know I was not unfaithful. See, the angel said the Holy Spirit will come on me and the power of God will overshadow me. Okay. How does that sit with Joseph? What did he think? So as we now, we, as we look at this Matthew text, we can tell a bit what he believed. I mean, minimally, minimally, Joseph doubted Mary's story about this coming from God, this child coming from God, the Holy Spirit coming on her. Minimally, he doubted that. And and maybe at most he just thought she was flat out lying and covering up for some infidelity on her part. And if that's the case, how else can you explain her pregnancy other than she was unfaithful to Joseph and had been with another man? So Joseph decides to divorce Mary, and the angel visits Joseph and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. For Mary, indeed, has conceived this child through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Mary is telling you the truth, Joseph. And as I look through this passage, I think we can see three things that God does for Joseph and he does for us as well. One, God takes something from us. Two, God changes something for us. And then three, God gives something to us. What does God take in this story? What's well, this? God takes responsibility for our reputation. Now, let's talk about reputation for a moment. Um, I know there are some people, maybe even you, who read this story and think about Joseph's reputation and how he's going to have to give that up and say, Aha, see, this is why you shouldn't care about your reputation. Who cares what other people think? About you, And some people live in that way. Who cares what other people think about me? Is that the right approach? Should we care about what other people think about us? Well, you know, don't answer too soon. Um, the truth is we do care, and we should care a certain degree about what people think about us. Um, well, we use reputation in many ways. You know, you might 
initially think about that teenager who's worried about her reputation, his reputation, and doing funky things just to kind of beef up that reputation. And we know that's not only for teenagers in school, but that's for adults at work doing things to beef up our reputation or in the neighborhood beefing up our reputation. Um, but we use reputation in many ways and in, and in positive ways, right? Um, you know, for example, uh, something being said about a lady, she has the reputation as a very hard worker. Okay. That's, that's good. Or he has the reputation of always coming through when the pressure rises. Uh, that, that, that's helpful information about this person, right? Or going back a few years or decades, um, think about Timex watches. Timex watches have a reputation for, what, lasting forever because they take a licking and they keep on ticking. They have this reputation. And in the Bible, we see reputation coming out in positive ways. Uh, Let's look at a few of these. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The disciples instruct church leaders to select the first deacons of the early church. And here's what they say. They say, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. They have this reputation of being full of wisdom, full of God's Spirit working in them. Um, look at Acts chapter 5, verse 34, uh, about a man named Gamaliel, the, this Pharisee. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people had this reputation about him. And what did Gamaliel do? Well, he saved the bacon of the apostles um, by convincing the Jewish Sanhedrin, let them go. Do not, if, if what they're doing is, what they're preaching is from God, you can't stop it anyway, let them go. And if it's not from God... You know, the preaching of these apostles, it's going to be for nothing anyway. But it was his reputation amongst the Jewish ruling councils that, that made them be convinced by his words. Um, back in the Old Testament, look at Mordecai back in uh, the book of Esther. He's one of the heroes of the book of Esther. Mordecai was held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews. Why? Well, because he had this reputation. He worked for the good of his people and spoke for the welfare of all the Jews. So we see reputation um, being a very positive thing in the Scripture in these stories. And then there was Joseph from our story today. And look at verse 19 again. Uh, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, had this reputation, and yet did not want to expose her, Mary, to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now that word, um, or the word that is translated here as faithful to the law, is the word righteous. He was righteous. Uh, Many translations, maybe yours, of the Bible say that um, because Joseph, her husband, was righteous and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar, and he points out that likely when uh, that verse described Joseph as being righteous, it wasn't a description of of some inner quality about him, but rather it was a description of his status. And Scott McKnight describes how the righteous ones was a status um, for Jewish people. If you followed the law flawlessly, if you avoided uh, things or acts considered unclean, If you were very faithful in the practice of your Jewish faith, you had the status. You were known as one of the righteous. It was a status. 
Now, what would happen if Joseph agreed to take pregnant Mary to be his wife? And there was nowhere for Joseph to hide in his small little hometown of Nazareth. Everyone would see he would lose his reputation, his status as one of the righteous, wouldn't he? So what is God asking Joseph to do in this instance? Take Mary home to be your wife. He's asking him to give his reputation to him. Joseph, take your hands off of your reputation. And one of the challenges of this story is that God is asking Joseph to take this good thing and be willing to give it up. Take this good thing, your reputation. But don't make it a great thing. Take this good thing and be willing to let go of it so that it doesn't become an idol. What do we learn in this story? One thing we learn is this, I think. Who God says you are is vastly more important than what others think that you are. And I want you to think, have you ever been in a situation, and I'm sure you have, sometimes we just have to think about it a bit, where you felt that you had to choose between what others think of you and following something you felt God asking you to do? Have you ever felt that there's this tension? If I live out my faith, I think that's going to negatively infect what either My friends think about me, my boss thinks about me, my neighbors think about me, my spouse thinks about me, my kids thinks about me. But who God says you are is vastly more important than what others think that you are. So God takes from Joseph the responsibility of Joseph's reputation. And God changes something as well for Joseph. Second thing we see in the story is what God changes. God changes our understanding of what is right living. As Joseph's in the struggle, he's known as one of the righteous ones. Jewish law and practice said it is entirely in his right to end the betrothal to Mary and do so in a way where she is publicly disciplined, reprimanded, and chastised. And in one way, that would be the righteous thing to do, right? If she really was kind of caught in this sin, she needs to be brought back to correction. Um, One could argue Joseph's top priority should be showing how important it is to follow God's law. But Joseph was thinking of another way. And this other way was also entirely in his right to do. It was this option to divorce Mary quietly. And that provision meant grabbing two witnesses, um, having a certificate of divorce drawn up, and just making it between that person, the two witnesses, and Mary without giving any cause for the divorce. That way, her reputation, her life is spared a bit as well as as Joseph's. That display of mercy, too, is righteous. But God says, I want you to see righteousness even further than that, Joseph. I want you to go further. 
I want you to be willing to sacrifice your reputation on behalf of this girl, Mary. Now, what is God doing? He's he's redefining righteousness, or he's revealing to Joseph what righteous living really is. Uh, There's a a very um, kind of prominent Old Testament scholar today, uh, Bruce Waltke, and he's looked all throughout the Old Testament at this at this term righteous or righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? And here's what he concludes. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of the community or to the advantage of someone else. That's what being righteous is. It's when you disadvantage yourself so that someone else is advantaged or is benefited or is blessed or receives mercy. That's righteous living. Being a Christian means realizing someone gets to define right living. That's what righteousness means. It's right, right living. Being a Christian means some, you recognize someone gets to define what righteous living is or what right living is, and it's not you, and it's not me. The person that gets to define what is right living is Christ. So following Jesus Christ is not just a statement of where you place your feet, uh, where you place your faith. It's a, it's a statement of where you place your footsteps, your feet. Where do you walk? What are your actions? And I, th- I thought of uh, when Jesus said in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And, and Jesus is not just saying, follow me in, the term, in terms of here, you place your faith in me, your belief in me, but rather walk in my way, follow me. Here's where I want you to put your footprints. Here's how I want you to walk and act. So when we are following Jesus, it means we will walk his ways in our life. Our daily actions will look like his actions. How will we relate to others? Will you disadvantage yourself so that someone else will be advantaged? Even when it feels like it's not adding to your reputation, or even when it feels like it may be subtracting from your reputation, will you follow that way of Jesus, that, that righteous way? That's what Jesus did. And there's a third thing that we see in this passage, and that, that God gives something to Joseph. He takes something from Joseph, but he gives something to Joseph as well. What does God give to Joseph and to us? It's this. God gives us a new way of seeing our identity. Um, and I want us to, to kind of roll up our sleeves a little bit and look at this statement from the angel, don't be afraid, and really think about that. How can the angel say to Joseph, don't be afraid? I mean, I, I think the angel said that to Joseph not to... Um, not to kind of persuade him or trick him into taking Mary to be his wife. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't empty words, in other words, when the angel said, don't be afraid. It wasn't just manipulative tactics trying to get Joseph to do this righteous act. I think the angel told Joseph, don't be afraid, because the angel knew that Joseph did not have to be afraid. I want to think through that. Um, when God asks us to give up 
or at least take our hands off of something good. Our response should be, okay, I don't have to be afraid. And that is kind of a counterintuitive thought in life, right? If I'm being asked to take my hands off of something good, naturally there is a little bit of fear there, right? Unless I know something better is going to be given to me. And God gives Joseph something so that he truly does not have to be afraid when he lets go of his reputation. God gives us a new way of seeing our identity. Uh, So Joseph was given the power to take his hands off of his reputation, knowing that his reputation may be drugged through the mud. By the way, it was most likely done that. Uh, done, done to him. Um, there's a story in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 6. Jesus is teaching at his, his home synagogue of Nazareth, and his hometown crowd are there to hear him, and they're pretty amazed at what they hear from Jesus, the wisdom that he's giving them, and they're amazed at his miracles that he's performing. But it doesn't, it doesn't create a good response from his hometown crowd. And instead, they... They say, who is this? But they don't ask, who isn't, they don't say, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, they're kind of, they can't believe this. But they don't say, isn't this Joseph's son? And that would have been absolutely the proper convention of the day. Um, It would have been proper convention for them to have referred to Jesus as Joseph's son. They don't say, isn't this Joseph's son? How can he be saying these things? Rather, the townspeople say, isn't this Mary's son? And um, and that was just clear convention in that day that indicates Joseph was not well thought of for Jesus not to have been acknowledged as Joseph's son. Um, so he was given the power to let his, his reputation be drugged through the mud. How can the angel say, your reputation is about to be trashed, but don't be afraid? What does he receive? New way to see his identity. Look at what the angel says. Verse 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And now listen to this. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from his sins. Did you catch that? You didn't catch that. Mary is going to give birth to a son. And Joseph, you are going to name him Jesus. I think that's remarkable. Joseph, and and the language is clear, this is a singular second person plural noun. You, Joseph, will give him the name Jesus. Think about that. Think about the honor that Joseph receives in that moment. The Savior of the world, not even his child. Joseph, you're the one who gets to give him the name Jesus. And it's really interesting how verse 21 is written. It's not, 
Um, Joseph, and you're going to call him Jesus. And that's what we would say today, right? Yeah, you'll call him Jesus. That's not what is, is written. Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus, because in Jesus' day, a name actually identified something significant, important about someone's character. The name Jesus means he will save them from their sins. God will save. Jesus will save. Jesus will show mercy. Could it be that the one that God chose to be the adopted father of Jesus would be the one who would be willing to sacrifice his reputation so that Joseph could show mercy to someone and, and live this righteous life as an example to the son Jesus, this adoptive son Jesus of his. And Jesus, as he grew up, got to watch this righteous life modeled by his earthly father, Joseph. Maybe carpentry wasn't the only thing that Joseph modeled for Jesus another way. And then one day, when Jesus was beaten and spat on and stripped naked and hung on the cross, he laid down his reputation as the king of kings so that he could show mercy to a world of someone's, to me and you, and in a way... He's doing what his earthly father, Joseph, has been modeling to him all along. I mean, Joseph receives a new identity. His life was not about seeing what kind of a name he could build for himself. Rather, his life became about the name of Jesus, about showing the world this character of Jesus, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness and how Joseph would be able to, to model that throughout Jesus' life as, as Joseph lived this life of righteous mercy giving to others. Somehow Joseph is given the invitation to participate in Jesus' name. Not just name it Jesus, but to participate, to live that out. And it seems that every day you get to choose, what are you living for? Are you living to build up your name or are you living to build up the name of Jesus? So a few kind of closing thoughts here. When we fight for our reputation, I wrote down three things. When we fight for our reputation, we let others shape our identity instead of finding our identity in what God gives to us. Um... I think we pursue reputations because deep down we want to see that our life counts. And often we evaluate that by comparing our lives with the life we see around us, others' lives. We compare our achievements with others. We compare our status with others because we want to see that our life counts. It's kind of like a kid that you know, loves this Christmas present that he gets until he compares it with the Christmas present that his friend across the street received. He's like, oh, that's not as, <laughs> it's not as good. Um, and we do this. We try to build up our reputation. But God gives us a different path forward. He says we can identify who we are rather in what God asks us to do, how God asks us to live. Uh, well, when you fight for our reputation, second thing, we receive arbitrary rewards from others instead of rewards from God. And one thing that Jesus taught in his ministry is that, yes, you can live for your own reputation. 
you can live for what others think about you, and you may receive some rewards and accolades from others in the here and now. Jesus says, you can do that. Or you can live for my name. You can live for the name of Jesus, and you will, re- you will receive the reward that only God can give you. And there is a surprise reward from God that will outshine all other rewards. And we receive it as we walk in simple obedience with what God asks us to do. And three, uh, when we fight for our own reputation, we live to promote ourselves instead of promoting Jesus. And you have to ask, ask yourself, at the end of the day, who do I want to be promoting? In the end, Joseph may not have stood before God with his reputation completely intact. But he was able to stand before God knowing that he put God first. God saw that. God saw Joseph putting him first. God saw Joseph putting others first, this righteous lifestyle. And I think that was just so pleasing to God. At the end of the day, Joseph decided who the star of the show really was, and it wasn't him. So what do you want for your own life? You can make your life all about proclaiming the real star, the real star, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, as we hear this story, as we look at what you asked Joseph to do, take his hands off of his reputation. It is easy for us to sense the fear that Joseph must have initially had in that, because we feel it too. We pray that your rewards would be what we desire not earthly rewards. We pray that the name of Jesus would be on our lips and on our thoughts, not our own name. We know that uh, this child that you gave Mary, our Savior Christ, is uh, the one we are to proclaim, the one who loves us deeply, who gave his life for us, who showed us mercy so that we can now go out and participate somehow in his name, just like Joseph did, by living merciful, righteous lives ourselves. Give us just the courage to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.